Good morning. So glad you're here. Thanks for joining us this morning. Wasn't sure what it would be like uh, daylight savings time and all, if that would uh, mix people up or if that would transition naturally. But thanks for joining us this morning. It's a great day to be together. Thank you, Jake. So for some time, if you're, if you're here for the first time, we're, we're a few months into this journey, and for some time we've been studying in the Gospel of Luke, the book of Luke. It's one of four Gospels found in the New Testament, and the Gospels are the stories of Jesus' life. So this man, Luke, he, um, uh, he had come to be a follower of Jesus. He was uh, not a Jewish person. Um, he was, uh, he was um, a Gentile. He was Greek. And, uh, and he came to be a follower of Jesus. He was likely a physician. We believe he was a physician before. And uh, he, he, as he came to be a follower of Jesus, he, um, he began to research the story from the beginning. Who is Jesus? Um, what's the identity of Jesus? And he wrote these two books. He wrote the book of Luke, and then a uh, book after the next is called Acts in your Bible. And Luke wrote these two books, and he, he, he says the reason he's writing them in the beginning. He says, uh, I, I wrote up this orderly account so that you could know for certain the things that you've heard. Because news about Jesus was spreading throughout the region and the world some 30, 40 years after uh, he was on earth. And so Luke was one of four people that sat down to write an account. Uh, Who is Jesus? And so we've been exploring, you know, the story of his birth, the stories of his healings and performing miracles and calming the water. And and people are amazed by him and thousands of people are following. And he and his, his followers, they'll try to they'll try to sneak away to a secluded place uh, like we looked at last week. But but thousands of people found him. And so he finds himself in the position of of feeding thousands of people, 20 to 30,000 people that day. He feeds because the crowds just won't stop following. But so far through the first eight chapters of Luke, there's still been this question of identity. And today in Luke chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 18, we're going to begin to explore this question of identity. Who is Jesus, right? Really, who is this man? And and so we're going to talk about that. We'll we'll take just a moment to work into it. I I love movies. Um, uh, That's an ironic thing to say because I don't remember the last time I was in a movie theater. But I do have one uh, really special thing going for me when it comes to to loving movies. Um, I have this really incredible ability to forget the end of a movie. I can watch a movie a second time a month later and have no clue how it's going to end. For some reason, now I know this doesn't make me an intelligent person, but it does make me someone who has a special interest in movies because I just have never seen any of them. But I do remember one movie. There's one movie that I remember that, that was kind of interesting, um, uh, The Matrix, and you know, it became a series. And this is years ago, but the Matrix movies came came out. Uh, this won't be a spoiler, I don't think, for anyone. It's old enough. It doesn't matter anymore. Um, <laughs> the, the Matrix movie, 17 years ago, came out. And um, and it's a story of this uh, this guy, Neo, who uh, by day uh, works in an office and um, in the evenings is a, a computer hacker. And uh, Morpheus, uh, another character in the story, comes to him, and and uh, and and he, you know he's going to free him. He, he says, "This is not what you think it is." And so there's this twist in the movie. There's this twist in the plot where Neo wakes up to realize that humanity has been enslaved by machines. Kind of sounds like twenty. Kind of sounds like today, right? Has been enslaved by their iPhones. No, not really. They have they have literally been enslaved by machines, and they're living in this virtual world that they. Think is real and none of it is real. 
right? And he has this, this turning point where his eyes are open and he realizes, oh my goodness. And you look around at the millions of humans, you know, entrapped in these machines and just living these virtual worlds. And, and today, Jesus' followers are going to have um, a, a similar shift in their understanding. They're going to say, not in a creepy machine way and in, you know, none of that, but they're going to say, hold on, this changes everything. The question of Jesus' identity changes everything in the story of their lives. The world is different when they come to the realization they do. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read through the passage, Luke 9, 18 through 27. We're going to pray over it, and then we're going to, we're going to break it down and see what God has for us this morning. Luke 9, 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others uh, that, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, or in the NIV, you are, you are Christ, son of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. If you, uh, I, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. There's a lot in there. Let's pray over that. Father, we thank you um, for this opportunity to engage your word. We pray for your wisdom. Father, I pray for your words that you will speak this morning and that you'll prepare each of us to hear what you have uh, this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Jesus, again, has, has sought seclusion. He sought a quiet place that he can go with his apostles in a time in prayer. I always think Jesus' prayer life is a fascinating subject, that he, uh, as, as we understand it, um, as he claims of himself, that he, God in nature, still longs for this nearness found in prayer, this nearness to God where he can be alone and with his heavenly father. And so in this case, he's, a, he's alone, but, but his disciples are with him. They're in a private place, and, and, they're, um, and, and they're praying together. And he asks a question. He says, who do the crowds say that I am? Now, this is a pivotal question. This is an important question because it's, it's similar to, but quite different than a question we often ask of ourselves and, and of people around us. See, we typically ask the question, uh, do people like me? What do they think of me? Are they judging me? Did they think that was funny? Right? We ask, do people like me? What do people think of me is a primary question that we ask in life. And Jesus' question is similar but quite distinctive in that he asks, who do people say that I am? See, his question here is that identity question that Luke has been ramping up to for nine chapters now. And finally, it comes on the table. He asks an identity question, who do people say that I am? Not, not what do people think of me, not do people believe what I'm teaching, not are people trusting more. He says, who do people say that I am? 
You know, identity is pivotal. You see, because when, when we live life out of what do people think of me, well, I mean, just think back over life about the decisions that you've made based on trying to gain the approval of the people around you. Those generally aren't real good decisions. It's not a real good litmus test for life. You know, what are people thinking of me right now? There's a much better way to live life. It's, it's out of our identity, right? Rather than, will, will people like this? My identity is a husband and a father. And I'm going to do right in, in who I am. Right? The questions of identity are what should drive life, but so often the insecurities and the questions of what do people think of me actually drive life, but the identity questions, those should be our driving forces. I remember a number of years ago, I was, I was the director of the Martin Luther King Center out in East Pasco. Really cool little facility um, in uh, in Kurtzman Park, uh, which at one time was an incredibly dangerous neighborhood. It's it's cleaned up a lot over the years, um, but still, I mean, East Pasco, east of the train tracks, that's where you're going to hear about shootings. And so, I was a director of this little facility that had um, a weight room for adults, a gym where they'd play indoor soccer or basketball. It had um, a game room uh, for kids. It was supposed to be a little solace for for kids, um, and then there was a homework center that we had a, a staff member who would uh, help kids with their homework as well. Really cool little facility. A beautiful little thing happened out there in East Pasco. And I remember one day, um, I would always encourage the staff, you know, you need to mingle with people. Get in on the soccer game if you're in there. Go ahead and lift weights while you're overseeing the weight room, right? Mingle with the people, um, build relationship, love people. That's important in what we're doing here. And uh, so every once in a while, I would feel like it was also important maybe for me to lead by example. So every once in a while, I would have to mingle as well. And so one day I found myself on the basketball court. Um, I have poor endurance and I don't shoot well and I can't really dribble the ball terribly well. Um, I'm not a great basketball player, but I had to, you know, get in the mix. And so that was the way I was trying to do that today. Pickup game, just a lot of guys from the neighborhood. And um, there was there was one guy who was particularly challenging in the center all the time. When he was there, he had attitude. He was a monstrous man who no one, you know, you, you didn't stand up to. And, um, and, and so he got his way, and, and he pushed his weight around. We're on the basketball court, and uh, he's on the other team, and uh, and every other word was the F word. I mean, he was just cussing up a storm. And keep in mind, this is a center where we're trying to create a haven for kids, right? Now, language is probably some of the least of their concerns in reality, but still it was bothering me that he kept just using profanity. So twice I said, hey, watch the language. It didn't work. So finally, while we're jogging back down the court, I, uh, I stopped in front of him, and I said, you need to watch your language or you need to leave. And, uh, and, and he did exactly what you'd expect. He puffed up really quick, and he got in my face. He said, who do you think you are? You think you run this place? Which is an ironic question. But he asked just the right question, right? He asked just the right question. He asked an identity question. Because there is only one reason I would be making a stand like that. You better run this place if you're going to talk to me like that, right? So he asked just the right question. And uh, doing my best not to cry, I, uh, <laughs> I looked the guy in the eyes and I said, that's exactly right. I'm the director of this place. Now, Bart, one of my, one of my employees, uh, a pretty big guy, you know, and he, well respected in the community. He's hurrying over there. Cause I mean, the next thing that's gonna happen, this guy's gonna rip my arms off and beat me to death with him, right? That is just 
on in the next moment. And so Bart's hurrying over. That's the director. Dude, you got to chill out, you know, and, and he calmed it down. It was okay. We even finished the basketball game. And then I went to my office and I curled up under my desk and just whimpered for the rest of the day. I was, I was done. But, um, but see, that was the moment of identity. Were, were I not in that role? And if I didn't know my responsibility was to stand up for, for kids in that role, man, I would have never taken that on, right? It was an identity question. And, and that's what I, I want to look at today, because Jesus asks an identity question. And I would say, well, insecurities and questions of what do people think of me can drive life. If we allow identity to drive our lives, man, identity changes everything. Everything changes when identity is on the line. So Jesus asked that question, who do the crowds say that I am? And so they cover their base as well. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Uh, others say that you're a prophet that's come back from the dead. In other words, they don't, the crowds don't really know. They know you're someone special. Every answer says that you are someone very special. But I don't know. There's all sorts of theories running around. And wouldn't it have been nice and comfortable if they could have just reflected on, this is what the crowds are saying. But Jesus does what Jesus does so well. And he turns his eyes to them and he says, who do you say that I am? See, because now it's not, uh, you know, wouldn't it be nice, isn't it nice when we can just sit back and critique everyone else's perspectives? But no, Jesus turns the attention to them and he asks them, so who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who spoke up. He was usually the first to speak and the first to act. And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the way it's said in Matthew. And in Luke here, it says, you are Christ, son of God. Peter answers the question. And he answers it correctly. You are the Messiah, right? So the Christ or the Messiah, uh, it, can, uh, it, it can be translated either way. Meaning the Savior. He says, you are the Savior who has come. Okay, and so so a fascinating thing is about to play out. You know, they're put on the spot, and there comes a time when when we all answer that question in life. You know, and I think when that question is answered, things begin to change quickly. In fact, as we look at the Gospel of Luke and the way it flows and into the book of Acts, from this moment on, things move rapidly towards the cross, so much of the story of Jesus is establishing identity. And when there comes a moment when confession becomes real, when, when I say, I believe that Jesus is my Savior, that he's my hope, man, things start to change quickly. When we allow confession of Jesus to sink deep into our hearts, and then we go that next step and we articulate it. You know how much deeper things get when you articulate them, when you write them in a journal, when you pray about them, when you have to describe it to a friend? There's a reason, uh, Josiah teaches guitar as well, um, there's a reason that, that teachers will always learn way more than their students, right? We have a lot of educators in the room, and it's because when, when you're forced to understand something so deeply that you can articulate it and teach it to someone else, well, it goes way deeper in life. And so, so while Peter here made have in the back of his mind for a long time been thinking, yeah, this, he might be the one, today Jesus calls him on it. And he says, who do you say I am? And for the first time, Peter articulates those words. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are our Savior. And you are our hope. 
You know, there's an interesting spinoff on these questions. Who do you say I am? And, and so I'd ask us here today, just briefly as we reflect on, on application in our lives, um, who, who do you say Jesus is? I think this is a valid question. If, um, if you are a follower of Jesus, or even if you're not, it's okay to be having conversations uh, and, and asking questions. Um, who do you say Jesus is? Do you ever find opportunity in life to say, man, you, you got you to gotta know, Jesus has changed my life in incredible ways. Like, does Jesus' name ever come up in conversations? I think it'd be a great thing to challenge ourselves to do, to learn to in some way articulate that Jesus plays an important role in my life. Because when we articulate it, it goes so much deeper. And so, so there's, what, who do we say Jesus is? And then there's the question of, who does my life say Jesus is? Like, someone watching the way I live, what does it say about my Savior? You know? Does it point to Him? Does it reflect upon His goodness? Do I love differently because of the love that Jesus has shown to me? Who does my life say that Jesus is? Am I living in a way that His glory uh, shines through? And I know those are big, challenging questions, and I don't ask them to guilt us into, you know, I just want to make sure we leave here feeling bad about ourselves, right? No, of course not. But I want us to reflect upon, I have opportunity every day to tell someone, about Jesus, how important he is in my life. That'll be awkward at first, but as we learn to articulate that, man, is that of value. And, and the way I live, does my life reflect the goodness that God has shown to me? That's, that's important. Let's, let's do more of that. Let's live more like that in our lives. And so Peter says on that day, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And in verse 21, the most unbelievable twist in the story, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone. Now, does that make any, any sense? Did anyone catch that as we read through the first time? He, the, the climactic moment of Luke's story is Peter's confession, and immediately after, Jesus says, now, don't tell anyone about this. Let's keep this our little secret. Now, there's a number of different, different ways I think we can understand this. Um, the, the more people hear about his miracles, the more the crowds pursue, the less he's able to uh, accomplish his mission, uh, the quicker we accelerate towards the cross. There's all that stuff. But I don't know. I'm working with a little bit of a different theory than I'd seen in the past here. He says, don't tell anyone. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm thinking. Until their hearts had been captured and their lives transformed— by the realization of the Messiah, they weren't ready to share it with the world around them. Now, now I'm not going to use this as application in our lives because they are in a very um, special situation. They have yet to see Jesus uh, die on a cross, raised from the dead, teach them, send the Holy Spirit to them, at which point, man, are they ready to tell people about the Messiah. And the world is, across the globe is a different place because they were ready to speak of the Messiah. He's not saying keep it secret, but there is this moment in time where they have come to a realization that this might be him, he might be our savior, but it is not time for them to tell people of that yet because what they are waiting for is a savior to come to Israel who will fight battles and win wars and free them from Roman oppression. That's what they want. So when they go out saying, the Messiah is here, they're going to be rallying an army to fight, right? And, and that is not Jesus' story. In fact, just to be really honest, and, and, and we don't have time today to go into the detail, uh, Jesus is a surprise answer to the Israelite people. 
Okay, they are, they are expecting redemption. They're expecting to be brought out of exile. It was Babylon and then Rome took over and it's been oppressive and they are no longer their own nation and they are expecting a savior, a Messiah to come and rescue them from that. And Jesus was a surprise answer to the Israelite people and a beautiful one. And I am excited to talk more on that subject in the future. We just don't have a lot of time. And so Jesus is gonna say to his followers in verse 22, The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And this is what they don't get, and they can't get yet in this stage of the journey. They just don't understand because when Jesus dies on that cross, none of them are celebrating and waiting at the tomb on day three expecting him to raise. Remember, when Jesus dies on the cross, man, they're defeated. They're like, maybe he wasn't the one. They don't, they don't get it yet, right? We're in that in-between season where they know something and yet it has not transformed their lives and it has not taken hold of their hearts and they have not fully come to realize and the Holy Spirit has not empowered them to accomplish the things they will and to know the things that they will know. But Jesus says, this is what the Savior looks like. This is what I, your Messiah, looks like. I'm gonna be beaten up and I'm gonna be persecuted. I'm gonna be rejected by all of Israel, I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to raise on the third day. And we say, wow, that is a strange plan for the Savior, right? And it is, and it is. And so so he continues then in verse 23, and he says, "And, and here's what my followers will look like. You'll deny yourself, and you'll take up his, and take up your cross daily and follow me. He says that a life following Jesus has to do with denying ourselves. It's not like, yeah, I want all of Jesus and I want all of me too. It's like, no, I'm, I'm willing to deny myself so that I can receive the fullness and the beauty that Jesus has to offer me. So he says, my followers, they'll deny themselves. They're not going to exalt themselves. They're not going to fight battles and wage wars in my name to bring back Israel. No, they'll be the ones that deny themselves, take up their cross, the subject of, of burden, and they will follow me. And, uh, and he goes on to say, if anyone's ashamed of my words, I'll be ashamed of them when I return. And, and, and rightly so, because they will be ashamed. And Peter will deny Jesus at the garden, right, when, when Jesus is being arrested. And they will be ashamed and they will be confused. And he's warning them of what is to come. And he says, some of you standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God, that, that you will witness the kingdom ushered in in the, in, the, in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Some of you here today are going to witness the kingdom of God coming. So I want to bring this around to us, and we're going to take communion together here in, in just a few minutes. Um, as we begin to ask, um, what does it look like in my life? to confess Jesus. And we're, we're all here in different places. In fact, Josiah, if you want to go ahead and as we, as we move towards communion, if you want to start playing for us, um, what does it look like to confess Jesus in my life? What, is it, what does it look like for, for me to take that next step? And we're all here in different places today. And I do want, want to say that that is absolutely okay and that is absolutely beautiful. Um, I remember I was young when I, when I first had the moment where I just believed deeply that Jesus had something special in store for me, that my, not, my life would never be the same. And much like the apostles in this story, I didn't understand it all. I didn't know how it all worked. Um, but I remember that moment where I realized Jesus, he's my hope 
and I, and I and I made a statement of faith and I was I was baptized at a young age and I remember just how excited I was to know a savior and I didn't fully understand that savior his plan for me looked a lot different than my plan for me looked but I remember that moment when it became real enough that I could say Jesus is my hope and if if you've never in in life come to that point um, I just, I want you to know the beauty of it. I'd love to get, you know, 10 of us up here to tell our story of that moment when Jesus became real enough to me that I was, a, I was willing to put it into words. And I was able to, I was willing to give my life under the waters of baptism and raise new into what God had invited me into. And, and I'm excited for a season in this church as, as we're new and, and we're growing um, to see people come to that moment in life. I'm excited for some of us here in this room, uh, in, in the hours to come, we got hot tubs ready, I mean, we, we can go, in the, in the days, in the weeks, in the months to come, to begin to say, no, I believe in Jesus, and he has something beautiful for my life, and, and I want to deny myself, and I want to live in him. And some of us here today, we've made that confession of faith, and yet we find ourselves living lives in which... Uh, so little of it is about Jesus. The, the words I'm saying and the life I'm living just isn't reflecting the beauty of the Savior that I have confessed. So I want to invite us all today as we take communion to ask a couple questions of ourselves. Who do I say Jesus is? Who is Jesus in my life, right? Who, who, who is Jesus? And secondly, how does his identity affect mine? How, how does... His identity changed my identity.